afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. In thinking about our guests on the show today, there's a quote by Hillel the Elder, a revered Jewish sage and scholar from the first century that came to mind. Hillel said, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am not for others, what am I? And if not now, when? Today, we're going to meet two extraordinary people, NFL coach Tom Coughlin and author, beauty editor, and cancer survivor, Caitlin Kiernan, who took the lessons that they learned from cancer and rather than keep that knowledge to themselves, found ways to share it with others in the hope of making people's lives better as they face the challenge of a cancer diagnosis. We're going to speak to Coach Coughlin first, and we'll be joined later uh, by Caitlin Kiernan. Uh, Tom Coughlin is a veteran of 29 years in the NFL, including 21 as a head coach. He ranks as the 12th winningest coach in NFL history. Among his accomplishments, he led the New York Giants to two Super Bowl victories against the New England Patriots in Super Bowls uh, 42 and 46. Coach Coughlin currently serves as executive vice president of the football operations for the Jaguars. Previously, he served as the inaugural head coach for the Jaguars for nine seasons. During that time, he led the team to four playoff appearances, including two AFC championship games. Coach Coughlin also serves as the president of the board of directors of the Tom Coughlin J Fund Foundation. Welcome to the show, Coach Coughlin. Thank you, Kim. Nice to be with you. So, Coach Coughlin, you founded the fund in memory of Jay McGillis, one of your student athletes when you were head coach at Boston College. Jay was diagnosed with cancer in the course of the football season in 1991 and passed away just a short uh, eight months later. Can you tell us about Jay and what you witnessed and experienced as Jay and his family faced his cancer diagnosis, Coach? I can, Kim. And it was, as you mentioned, 1991, I was the head coach of Boston College. It was my first season there. I had uh, a young man by the name of Jay McGillis who was our starting strong safety. Jay had started 10 straight games. We had been in Syracuse. Uh, we returned from Syracuse, and the trainers came to me and said, Jay, we don't think Jay can, is going to make the game next week against Miami. And I said, why not? And they said, well, he has swollen glands and, and a temperature and so on and so forth. And I said, well, can't we get him to, the, to a doctor? Can't we get him uh, you know, straightened around by the, throughout the course of this week and get him ready to play? And, of course, it wasn't mono, it wasn't mumps. It was leukemia. And so the devastation of that news and having to tell the team that story, uh, the saga of Jay uh, began. And it was a, a ravaging disease, which in eight, eight months later took his life on July 3rd, 1992. But what we saw happen and what we witnessed, being very close to Jay, being very close to his mom and dad, John and Pat McGillis, and his siblings, was the fact that everyone runs to the side of a sick child. They drop everything, they forget about bills, they let things go that they shouldn't let go, and these things accumulate and build up, 
and the family has everything they can do to keep from showing the stress that is upon them financially in the presence of their of their sick child. So we witnessed, for example, Jay's sister Kathy, who was uh, interning at a law firm in Washington, D.C., come home from Washington and literally move into Jay's room because she didn't want him to be alone. We saw his brothers and sister uh, sisters come to the side of the of Jay as he was in the hospital and try to be there to support him as as families do in times of crisis because it's important that everyone let the sick child know that things are fine on the outside. Everyone is here to support you in uh, defeating your form of cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, as it went along, uh, Jay went to a couple of different hospitals in the Boston area, and uh, one of my players came to me in, uh, in the course of, uh, of the uh, off-season and said, Coach, we have to help the McGillis family. And I said, okay, sit down, Mike. It was Mike Panos. Let's talk about it, Mike, because we need to come up with a way we can help the McGillises. So what we did is the players went out into the community and literally got pledges of money for the amount of weight that they could handle, lift, if you would, uh, in the spring at our max lift. So we would do bench press, power clean, squat, etc., and we would get commitments from the community financially. So at the, at the halftime of the spring game, we presented the McGillis family with a check for $50,000. And thus, the idea was implanted in my heart that this would be a way in which we could help the McGillis family, and down the road uh, we might be able to do such a thing as we attempt to give back to families in need. Well, a few months later, unfortunately, Jay passed away, and uh, the, the, the idea at Boston College that we would continue, the spring game was named for Jay McGillis, Jay has a locker at Boston College that is still kept with his number 31 in the in the locker. A couple, we finished that season. Uh, a couple of seasons later, uh, we had a very good season, and I was offered the job uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I knew at that time that if we had the opportunity to give back, I told my wife Judy, if we had a chance to give back, we would give back in the name and the spirit of Jay McGillis, and we would do so by helping families who have a child with cancer. And thus, in 1996, we started our first attempt uh, at raising money. It was a a golf tournament here in Jacksonville. Uh, We raised money to help uh, families who are going through a crisis as no other crisis in, in their lives when they are told that their child has cancer. So tell so tell us, Coach. So so how do folks find about about the J Fund? Who's eligible uh, for assistance? How do folks get connected to you now through the work that you're doing? Well, you can go through the the internet. Um, you can. My daughter Kelly Coughlin is the CEO, uh, if you will, the executive director of the J Fund. Uh, we're we're uh, we're on the internet, etc. We're everywhere, and people can find us very easily that way. And um, and so tell us what you're seeing through the J Fund, Coach Coughlin. You know, we know that cancer is a life changing diagnosis. What do we know about the 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 impact on on the family when 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 the child is diagnosed, and how are you connecting with those families? What kind of help are you providing? Well, we and our, our mission statement would indicate that 
we are there to help families uh, tackle childhood cancer by providing comprehensive financial, emotional, and practical support. And what we do from uh, from those three statements, uh, one, 65% of the assistance that we provide to families, the support we provide, is through household, uh, helping with household expenses. So we will pay mortgages, we'll pay rent, we'll pay utilities, we pay car payments, we pay grocery bills, we pay, you know, funeral expenses. We help people in that way. And this, I've often referred to this, Kim, as, you know, the, the things that fall through the cracks, the things that, you know, people uh, must maintain to stay in their house, for example, to keep stability, uh, to be able to help their child realize that, you know, that, that the world isn't completely caving in and, uh, and that uh, everyone is focused on nothing but them uh, getting better. The emotional side, we provide uh, special events for all the uh, our cancer kids so that they can spend a day away from cancer. Uh, we have Valentine's parties and holiday parties, and we have what we call a Sunday Blitz, and we, we have all kinds of things to, te- to let the kids be kids, let parents have an opportunity to share their story with other uh, adults and, you know, kind of comfort each other by the knowledge of, of what the families are going through. And then we have quality of life experiences, which basically deal supporting treatment facilities. You know, we have a, a room set aside in Wilson's Children's Hospital, for example. It's called the team room, where games are played and, and uh, kids can go into these rooms and enjoy themselves and get away from just the picking and prodding, et cetera, that, that takes place as a child is treated. Uh, for cancer. We have DVDs, we have games, we have art therapy. So we operate in all kinds of different ways to help families uh, to either provide uh, fun events for them so they can get away from cancer, to provide financial support. Uh, we have a, a financial literacy coach who helps uh, families develop a budget whereby they can meet their needs financially. Uh, so we provide all different things um, whether it be uh, financial, emotional, or quality of life. Fantastic. Wow, what an amazing uh, mission. Um, Coach Coughlin, we've just got a couple minutes here until our uh, until our first break, but I mean, there's <laughs> no doubt. I mean, the, 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 the J-Fund has now existed for over 20 years. There's no doubt that coaching in the NFL, any job in the NFL must be incredibly sort of high pressure, high demand, yet you have continued to be personally involved with this effort to reach out to families. The J-Fund is helping hospital visits, phone calls. Just take a minute or two to tell me about that. What's your goal when you visit with children and their families, and how do you balance the demands of the team and the the amazing work that you're doing real hands-on with the fund? Well, when we visit, and uh, now that I'm back in Jacksonville, We'll visit a hospital tomorrow, and it'll be, I think, our fourth since the end of the football season. But we want to provide uh, those children and their families and their mother and fathers. And and you have to understand that when a child is in the hospital um, with cancer, literally the parents move into the room with them. So the facilities are there for them to be able to spend the night with their child. So when we go to the hospital, we want to personally... Uh, make the child's day brighter. We want to meet the parents. We want to try to to uh, to, to bring gifts, etc., that can comfort the child. 
Uh, and currently what happens is that a child will, will enter the hospital for treatment, and that treatment might last, you know, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, before the child can return home again. So that's why we provide the game rooms and the DVDs and, and all of those types of things to make that stay just a little bit better. But in visiting the hospital, you have to understand the parents and the child, they're, they're normally thanking us. It might be my wife, Judy. It'll be my daughter, Kelly. It'll be various people who are with the J Fund, volunteers, etc. And when we go into a room and surround the family and we try to make them feel better, but I'm going to tell you this, they may be thanking us, we're thanking them. Because mm-hmm. what that does for, has always been able to do for my wife and I is to um, establish a bottom line for life, to make mm-hmm. us realize the practical aspect of, of life. Uh, here, when a family hears that they have a child with cancer, their life as yeah. they know it stops. Yes. It's, yes. It stops. And yes. because of that, we have to all realize that, um, that these, what these families are going through, what these parents are going through in order to, to be there for their child. And, and that's what we're trying to do is, is establish the fact mm-hmm. they're not alone. We're there yes. for them. We can that's help. Fantastic. We're willing to yes. help, and we have a systematic approach to helping them. Fantastic. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking with Coach Tom Coughlin, a 29-year veteran uh, in the NFL, uh, talking about the J Fund, which was founded in memory of Jay McGillis. We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Insight, and Lily Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tivoldo. We're talking right now with NFL coach Tom Coughlin, and later we'll be joined by author and cancer survivor Caitlin Kiernan. Uh, coach, I've heard that you believe that football is the greatest team sport ever invented. Why is that? And what, in your opinion, sets football apart from other team sports? Well, football is... Uh by its very nature, and I've heard, for example, General Odierno, who was chief of staff of the United States Army, say that in the military, you put your life in the hands of the man to your right and your left, and he puts his life in your hands. In the game of football, you put your trust in the hands of the man next to you, and he puts his trust in you. And the reason I say that is that we all know there are, there are great physical sacrifices made to play this game. The game is played with 22 people on the field at the same time. The efficiency must be at the highest level. So everyone must perform. And I'm totally dependent on the guy next to me. He's totally dependent on me. And without that, we can't even move the ball an inch or we can't stop anybody. So the reason that football is the greatest uh, uh, game ever invented is because it is the, the greatest team sport in the world. And it is something in which everyone uh, has to make the strong contribution, not only their ability, but their effort, their enthusiasm, etc., or, the, the, or your team is not going to win. So the, the, by the very nature, the sophistication of the game, mm-hmm. the number of people involved at one time, and the quality and the production that has to be uh, worked on to great efficiency, the practices, the weight room, the conditioning, all of those sacrifices go into putting a person in, a, in the right state of mind, whether it be mentally and physically, in order to perform. And when you get a bunch of people who believe in themselves, who are willing to take the names off the back of the jerseys and be unselfish in their commitment to their team and in the best interest and to do those things that are only in the best interest of the team, then you've got tremendous satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Coach, you've had an incredible career as a football coach. What would you say is the, is the role of the coach on the team, and, and what has been the secret to your, success, to your success? What is your sort of philosophy? Well, a, a coach is a teacher, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what, what we are. We, we teach, we illustrate, we inspire, we navigate, we show direction, we make corrections. Um, my philosophy of leadership has always been firm, fair, honest, demanding. So I want people to know that I do care about them, that I put in a lot of time and effort into thinking about exactly how um, I expect our football team to progress and play and perform. Uh, and I'm willing to make all the sacrifices, but I want everyone to know that they must make the total commitment for us to be successful. And if they will do that, then I believe we will win. But it is, uh, it's a, it's, you know, in leadership today, you lead by serving others. And that's exactly what, something that I learned the hard way, but that's what I learned about being in the position of head coach. You have to be more than 
an offense or a defensive or a special teams expert. You have to uh, insert in your players the desire, the will, etc., to perform and to work. Um, you you must pay a great price to get to the winner's circle, and it's constant that we have to show the way. And, of course, in our game, uh, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So over a tremendous amount of time, over a six, seven-month period, we have to maintain as head coaches the direction of the franchise and be able to handle adversity, be able to deal with uh, with personal issues on the part of uh, one or two players that may have problems throughout the course of the year, but to be able to guide the ship, as you will, and to always create the idea that with that total commitment will come success. Mm-hmm. So, Coach, I, I got to tell you, I'm a Philly girl. My dad and I are <laughs> lifelong Eagles fans, and I was actually able to get tickets for us to go to the Super Bowl this year. Um, my dad was a bus driver in Philly for 30 years, and uh, I oh, felt so fortunate to share that experience with him. You know, the whole experience, being there, getting the win, it was, you know, it was a dream come true. But I'm sure I can't even hold a candle to what a coach and, and the players must feel during a victory like that. What is it like to be on the field when all that hard work, that effort, the sacrifice, you know, results in a winning Super Bowl? What's it like for you and the team, and, and, and how do you think about the fans in that instance? Well, first I would start with this. As, as the game comes down, and, and both of our wins were last-second wins, if you remember both of those games. Yeah. Uh, in in, in uh, 2007 and eight. it was the undefeated uh, New England Patriots, and so we were playing at a, a team that had already gone 16 and 0 in the regular season, and were uh, trying to make a, a incredible mark on hi- on the history of the National Football League by completing an undefeated season and winning the Super Bowl. We stood in the way, and of course, we succeeded on that particular day. But when the gun goes off, the realization comes to you that in your chosen profession, you are the best in the world. You have climbed to the top of the mountain, and you have established the very fact that you are the world champions, the best in the world. But the next thing that strikes you right away is your family, your wife, your parents, your children. They are also world champions, and they share in that because they have provided you as a player or as a coach with the opportunity to be the very best that you can be in your in your profession, because for example, in the in the in the in the way of a, of a woman of a wife, she's basically taking care of everything else and raised the mm-hmm. kids, but she's allowed mm-hmm. you to be the best you can be in your profession, and you have to recognize that. And then you do realize, for example, in New York, the Canyon of Champions parades are unlike anything you've ever seen. I mean, over two million people are in the streets of New York City you know, cheering and yelling and so on and so forth. And when you think about the people that have traveled down that road, whether it be Eisenhower coming back from World War II or Truman or, or some of the great Yankee teams or whatever, uh, it's, it's humbling. It's an extremely humbling experience. But you do realize the very impact that, the, that professional football has on their communities, just as you've spoken about Philly, and I know Philly because that was my first pro job. I was an assistant coach with Marion Campbell with the Philadelphia Eagles in uh, 1984 um, mm-hmm. in 85. So uh, I know so full well about that experience. But that's how I felt um, in, in our great game. And when I say the greatest team sport, I also this comes into play too. You win a Super Bowl. 
you won it because you're firing on all cylinders. And everybody, every player, all 53, all your coaches, your front office, everyone has to be on the exact same page or in the slightest little screw-up. You might be the best team. All right, but you 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 can lose because everybody's not on the same page. So you understand how the machine must work in order to get there, and it's humbling because you're not going to do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Coach, I've heard you say that your work with the J Fund is is as important to you as the work that you've done on the field for all of these years. Can you describe for us uh, what that means to you and the lessons that you've learned along that journey? Well, the important thing for me is the J Fund. The J Fund brings me the reality of life, what what life is all about. And it's a tremendous balancing uh, act in that regard. And uh, when we are able to help people, and I have incredible stories. I mean, we have a young lady that's working for us now. Um, her name is Marissa. And she discovered, it was discovered in her two weeks before her graduation from high school that she had cancer and she was told she was actually told she would never run again she loved to run she loved to work out she was told that she would never run again she went through 54 straight weeks of chemotherapy and yet her attitude her belief in herself her faith in god that she would uh, beat the disease carried her through and in the last uh say six months she has run three marathons, including the Boston Marathon. And when I when I see a child survive cancer, and, 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 and believe me, we all know, that you don't come out of it 100% healthy. You do have, because of the, the, the strenuous treatment, et cetera, there are effects on your, on your body, but you have beaten cancer. And to see these kids when they were sick and then when they have beaten cancer and five years later, et cetera, and to accomplish, go back into the world and accomplish the things that I see. Those are the, that's the reinforcement for us. That's the motivation. The idea that your work is never done, the goals that you set, whether it be professionally or whether it be, for example, here uh, in the J Fund, which, you know, this is our way. This is our way because I, I firmly believe that when we go before the big guy, He's not going to ask me how many Super Bowls I won. He's going to ask, <laughs> what have you done to help your fellow man? And that's what this means to me. That's what the J Fund means to me and my family. My whole family is involved in this and doing our part in trying to help these families because we've seen the devastation all too many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach, we've just got a quick minute until our break here, but uh, just a word of advice. If a family is dealing with a child who's been diagnosed with cancer, obviously we want them to get good care, good treatment, uh, 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 you know, find the best places. But other words of advice that you have for those families who are facing a child's diagnosis of cancer? Well, there are three things that I would say right off the bat. One is attitude. The attitude not only of the individual that is sick, you know, how the, the child can be scared and doesn't know what to expect, et cetera, but the family and the parents and what it, what it means to the child, the sick child, to have their parents comforting them and to see the parents in an unstressful uh, circumstance. The other thing to remember is you're not alone. There are organizations, there are people who are in position to help you. Now, you may have to do a 
little bit of research. You may have to uh, try to take all of this in. One of the great sources of information are the social workers. They're tremendous. The criteria by which we use in the J-Fund Foundation to determine mm -hmm. who needs help, what families need help, comes directly from uh, these these. Uh, Social yeah, workers. Social workers, yeah. The third thing is your Fantastic. faith. Your faith can never yeah. leave you. Your faith has to be strong. It has to be has to remain strong. And I firmly, firmly believe that. And I see it. I I see yes. it all the time. In well, no matter what the age is, with mm -hmm. people who are battling cancer, but they have the gift of the peace, the peace of yes. our Lord. That's they just right. have it. They That's have right. the faith. They have the belief. They know that yes. that, that that things are going to work out uh, for the better, and and they live Coach. their lives that way. And you can't Great. say more, enough about that. Great, great. I think all great tips, great advice from one of the top coaches in the U.S., Coach Tom Coughlin. I thank you so much uh, for being with us, and uh, we'll look forward to continuing to do some good work together. Thank you. This is thank frankly you, speaking Kim. about frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help. And many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month... Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Celgene, Azi, and Gilead Sciences. Like Coach Coughlin, our next guest has decided to take the life lessons she learned from cancer and share them with others facing the challenges of a cancer diagnosis. We are now joined by Caitlin Kiernan, cancer survivor and author of Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, How to Look Your Best, when you feel your worst. Let me tell you a little bit about Caitlin. She's an award-winning journalist and beauty expert with the inside scoop. Caitlin is a former fashion columnist, beauty director of Life & Style Weekly, and beauty producer for Amazon's first live streaming fashion and beauty show, Style Code Live. She is currently the beauty director of Star and OK Magazines. Caitlin has appeared on both national and local television programs, including E! News, Access Hollywood, Entertainment Tonight, and The Wendy Williams Show. Her freelance work appears in The Wall Street Journal, Women's Health, Men's Health, Fitness, Stand Up to Cancer, Yahoo Travel, Harper's Bazaar, and The New York Times. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you, Kim. Wow, that's quite an intro. (laughs) It is quite an intro. Very impressive. (laughs) Uh, Caitlin, you were diagnosed with breast cancer and then underwent a lumpectomy followed by chemo and then a double mastectomy. Um, when when you started chemo, what were your expectations or your concerns about side effects and how did that compare with the reality that you faced? Yeah, I mean, I think I was like so many other women. It's so funny, when I was writing my book, I found out from interviewing some of the top oncologists in the United States that the number one question that women ask is, am I going to lose my hair? And I was no different. I was very concerned as a working woman, you know, what was going to happen to my what my hair falling out? Was I going to keep my hair? What, what was going to happen to my skin? You know, how was my body you know, going to be ravaged really in the course of trying to um, treat my illness. And uh, it was a scary time for sure, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Caitlin, in talking about your cancer diagnosis, you said that you were not only dealing with a health crisis, but also an identity crisis. And that's such a, I think, a great way um, to put it. Can you talk about how you were you were feeling and the impact of that identity crisis that you faced um, in light of your cancer diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, I think no one really ever talks about it. At least I didn't feel like I knew what to expect in that regard. And as you start going through treatment and, and surgeries, depending on, you know, what your treatment is for me, I had, you know, my breast cut into and then I had my breast removed and I was put on cancer drugs that changed my weight. And by the time that I finished everything or was even in the middle of my surgeries and treatment, I did not look like the same girl I started as. I, you know, my hair was falling out, my skin looked terrible. So not only was I trying to grapple with this major health crisis, I was really trying to grapple with who I was becoming or not becoming. It's even like emotionally weird to talk about it now because it was such a difficult thing that, you know, women have to deal with. It's, you're just trying to, you know, maintain who you are. And it's just, it's, it's like sand in your hand. It just is slipping away. So it's a really tough thing. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and Kaylin, I know as a beauty director, I mean, you're in contact with the top experts in, in personal and, and beauty care. I mean, at the time of your diagnosis, you had access to people like Angelina Jolie's hairstylist, Jennifer Lopez's manicurist, Penelope Cruz's dentist. I mean, what is the role of a beauty director 
in a magazine? <laughs> did you have any hesitation? I mean, you know, how did how did those two worlds kind of come together for you when you were diagnosed? Yeah, with I mean, you know, my job is interviewing the top experts in the beauty industry, and yeah. when it came to, I've been very lucky to like you know meet some of the most innovative, creative people out there. And when I started going through treatment, and I really wasn't getting the information that I needed about how to care for the various side effects I was going to be coming up against, I just started reaching out. I was so desperate. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start reaching out to these people. And they were so helpful and so amazing and really helped me navigate what was going to be coming at me or what I was dealing with. Um, You know, at one point I had really bad hives and acne and I was like, did not know how to deal with it. And so, you know, of course I pick up the phone and and dealing with, you know, a, a dermatologist who is... Uh, the dermatologist to some of the royal families in the world. So, um, you know, it was, it was, I was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky that I had access to those people. And in many ways, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book. I really wanted to pay it forward because that information wasn't out there in one accessible place. You know, when you're sick and you're dealing with the health crisis, the last thing you want to do is spend five hours on your computer Googling because some of the information is a scary and some of it's just not accurate so I wanted to streamline that process for people and having those those people in my uh, orbit was it was a game changer really yeah yeah you know Caitlin I want to take a minute to talk about uh, the book so our listeners can learn more about that I really love the the tone of the book is so candid and, and, and funny and, and wise all at the same time. And, I mean, you have chapters called, you know, This Stinks and a uh, chapter called Tit Talk. Am I allowed to say that on the radio? <laughs> I, guess, I guess I guess the bar has been lowered in American uh, conversation <laughs> these days. I don't know. I feel fine saying it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, you tell it like it is. I want to read a, an excerpt for our listeners, um, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, if, if, quote, uh, if by dry skin, Dr. Ritchie means resembling an armadillo-girdled lizard, then yeah, that's about right. Google it to see what I mean. Uh, by my third treatment, my skin became so dry it started to shed. And where I wasn't shedding, I had red, sore, hive-like bumps. It didn't get better as time went on. On the days after my chemo, I would turn a sickly shade of green. It was not a good look. But I'm not a girl who settles for anything less than being fabulous. So I turned to my squad of dermatologists to figure out how to turn this ugly situation around. Tell, tell me, at what point did you decide to take your experience and turn it into a book? Why did you do that? And who is the book for? Um, you know, it wasn't until the end of treatment that I just kept hearing over and over again, you know, you, you look amazing. I didn't know you were sick. And I continued to work. I mean, that's the great thing about cancer treatment these days is that it allows you to go about your normal life for the most part. You know, obviously there are variations of that. But, um, and, and so I, I was lucky that I would, had all this help to help me continue in my life and go to work and hold down my job, which I needed to, to have my health insurance. Um, and I really, towards the end, I remember sitting in chemo one day after hearing it from someone as I had been walking into the hospital. And, um, I thought, you know, what is the woman in Alabama who has a part-time job and has a child and doesn't have great access to health insurance? What is she doing? And I was like, you know, I have been so blessed to have great access to good care, amazing care, and um, amazing experts. And I really, it was my pay it forward moment. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to do this for all the, my sisters out there. I'm going to really help them 
And I want to do it in a fun, uplifting way. I mean, you're, you want to get the information, but you also want to be uplifted. And I wanted it to be real girl speak, you know, how you would talk to a girlfriend and give her this advice in a really relatable way, not like heavy medical speak or confusing jargon. I just really wanted it to be accessible and easy and helpful. Um, and I hope I did that with this book. You know, I really, I, I, I wrote it in the way that I speak because it's really the only way I know how to sure. deliver a message, basically. Sure. So, so Caitlin, are you getting any any pushback from people saying, you know, why are we talking about lipstick and eyebrow pencils when patients should be focused on their health, their wellness, their well-being? They should be focused on survival, fighting the cancer. You know, are you getting any blowback on any of that? You know, I got blowback from that when I was in treatment asking about results and things and how I was going to, you know, when I started saying to my doctor, well, am I going to lose my hair? Like, what's going to happen as it started to fall out? I'm like, you said I wasn't going to lose all my hair, but look at all my hairs coming out. Like, and he was like, listen, I'm here to fight this disease. I'm not here to worry about your hair. Your hair will grow back. Um, and I, he rightfully so. I mean, his job as my, you know, my healthcare overseer <laughs> was not worried about my aesthetic. But um, so I got it then. I felt like when I started talking to plastic surgeons and people about wanting a good um, result for my mastectomy, you know, I'm, I was young. I was single. I wanted to have breasts that resembled real breasts. I wanted, yeah. I didn't want scars all over. And I got, when I would talk about it with people, they'd be like, well, this isn't a boob job and I was really insulted because I'm like I have the right as a woman to be able to ask about what my treatment and surgeries what the results of those are going to be like I have a right to the information I have right to be able to ask and interview doctors to see what they can do for me Um, and I don't get it now now that the book is out it's Mm -hmm, it's a mm -hmm. lot of positive feedback and a lot of women saying I was always afraid to ask about this because I was afraid I'd be judged or that I would be perceived as vain but to me it's not about vanity it's really about a quality of life um, issue. For me, if my mastectomy results had been not amazing, it would have changed how I feel about my body mm-hmm. for the rest mm-hmm. of my mm-hmm. life. So it's a, it's, I, I want to empower women to be able to feel free to ask the questions and to, you know, to, matter to, them. to, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Caitlin, I've only got uh, uh, less than two minutes before our next break here, but um, uh, the book is beautiful. And along with the tone, I love the illustrations. Just quickly tell our listeners, can you just describe the style of the book and what they can expect. It's, you know, it's illustrated by Jamie Lee Reardon, who is a fashion illustrator that I met um, when she was at Dior. And um, she, I always loved her stuff, and I, I just wanted a very whimsical, fun aspirational, inspiring, kind of fun book. I wanted it to be colorful, and I wanted people to feel joy when they picked it up and read it. Um, And so that's, you know, it's just a bunch of uh, women in the various stages of cancer, but in a fun way, you know. Yeah, and and I think a lot of really great, you know, as you said, very sort of accessible um, 
practical tips. Um, you don't have to be a New York fashion model <laughs> to be able to, you know, to benefit from the information, the tips, the advice. I love that you talk about where folks can get things and, you know, some references to cost and things like that. Cause I think it's, I think that, uh, yeah, it just to be accessible for this sort of everyday person who's diagnosed with cancer really, you know, just makes it, um, you know, all the more valuable, I think to, uh, uh, to our listeners. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We're joined by Caitlin Kiernan, a beauty expert and her book, pretty sick, the Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, How to Look Your Best When You Feel Your Worst. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Teagledo. We will be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Agios and Takeda Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. With us is Caitlin Kiernan, cancer survivor and author of Pretty Sick. The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, How to Look Your Best When You Feel Your Worst. Um, Caitlin, before we start talking about some specific steps that people can take to care for themselves while in treatment, I was curious about something you wrote in the book's introduction. Uh, You wrote, quote, 
Well, I loved fashion. It always felt a little clicky to me. If you weren't a size two or rolling in money, there were certain things that would always be off limits. But beauty is democratic. What, what did you mean by that? What I mean is that it's accessible for everyone. You know, listen, you can't afford Beyonce's pocketbook, her $5,000 pocketbook. Well, tough. But if you think she looks amazing, she has an awesome emerald green smoky eye, you can go out and buy a L'Oreal palette and achieve the same look and be just as fabulous. And it always felt, you know, as I covered fashion for Dow Jones and, you know, I was out there amongst the elite of the fashion world, it, it just always felt very insular to me. I never felt like I was really ever part of that crew. But when I started reporting on beauty, I just felt so invited and, it, you know, it, it encourages encourages a, a person to play with products and find out who they are through their beauty and skincare routines and through their hair and express themselves. It just felt um, freeing to be able to feel yeah. fabulous in that way and so accessible. So I, that's why I feel like beauty is democratic and it's always been my favorite beat to cover because of that. Yeah. And we see it yeah. now more than ever. I mean, now you yeah. have, you know, boys in the cover girl ads and, you yeah. know, it's yeah. just, it's so, it's, it, it crosses all age, you know, yeah. religions, weights, like everything. It just, it's so insular. So I love that about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Caitlin, tell our listeners more about the book. What areas of personal beauty care um, do you cover? What kind of information will readers find? I really want them to get a sort of a snapshot. Yeah. So the book covers all of the sort of beauty, overarching beauty things for the body. So it starts even with the first chapter is about smell because it's, and I followed a timeline of like what happened to me during treatment. So it's sort of chronologically what is going to happen to you as you advance through treatment and surgery. So the first chapter was about smell because that's the first thing that starts to change. And often people don't even know to anticipate that. And it can really play out in your beauty routine all the way to you know, life after and like how, um, you know, your girly bits can change after treatment, which nobody talks about. 90% mm-hmm. of women that go through treatment will experience some sort of sexual dysfunction or change and nobody really talks about it. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm just going to cover all of this. I'm just going to talk about all of it. And, um, and you know, obviously the, 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 the obvious thing was like hair and skin, um, but even like mouth sores and dental and so every part of your body that gets affected every <laughs> which is everywhere I, I cover mm-hmm. so fascinating um, Caitlin along with doctors scientists fashion experts you interviewed celebrities and cancer mm-hmm. survivors one of the celebrities is uh, is talk show host Wendy Williams she's so mm-hmm. funny um, but she's open, openly talked about her love for wigs and weaves on her show she's such yeah. a character what was it like interviewing her for a book about women and cancer and you know what was her best tip about wigs yeah well she's not a cancer survivor I knew her from when I used to go on her show as a beauty director and she was always you know she was wearing wigs before the Kardashians made them you know commonplace and yeah. I just always loved how she wore her wigs as a way to channel a, a, another aspect of herself and be fabulous. 
And so I felt like when I started writing this book, I was like, you know, I can I can interview the wig, wig experts, but, you know, every woman that's going for a wig is going to run into that person. I want to hear from someone who has, like, some real girl wig-wearing experience. And she gave me great tips. Like, she was saying, she was the first person who said, like, don't spend your money on a real hair wig. Like, that's a lot of money. They're really high maintenance. And unless you're a person that's in the public eye, like, on TV every day or in a courtroom, like, you don't need to be spending your hard-earned money on something that's going to be, that you're going to need temporarily. So she talked about the difference between synthetic wigs and real wigs and how to customize, like, a synthetic wig, which I thought was so fascinating. Like, if you use a little um, tinted mascara, you can add roots to a wig to, like, create almost like a depth of color to make the wig look real because really what makes a wig look wiggy is that it has no dimension or it's too shiny or it doesn't kind of move like natural hair. And she told me you can put a little baby powder in it to kind of, you know, take down that synthetic shine. There were just some great tips about how to, you can cut in like little baby hairs along the hairline to make it look a little bit more, you know, like, real baby hairs that you don't get in in a regular wig. So I just thought there were like some little tiny things that you can do at home to transform a $50 wig and make it look like a $1,000 wig. And you don't have to have the burden or the stress that that might incur on your, uh, you know, on your pocketbook to to go and afford, you know, an expensive wig. Mm -hmm. Like when I went wig shopping, the wigs I was being quoted were like five to $7,000, the real yes. hair wigs. And I was like, I can't afford that. My insurance was giving me something like $150 towards a wig. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's even New York that's even going to cover the most basic synthetic wig. So mm-hmm. I was really relieved to hear that she was like, that she said, don't start with a real hair wig. Like, mm-hmm. start with a synthetic wig. If this is going to be a longer-term thing, then you can think about um, a real hair wig down the line, but get used to wearing one. Get used to how it feels on your head. Get used to how, you know, you slip it on and slip it off and what you can do at home to just make it look more fabulous because a real hair wig, and I, you know, I interviewed Joan London about this as well. She needed a real hair wig because she's a public, you know, person. And um, she said it was so tough, like styling it. You have to style it on your head and it's slipping all over your head and you sweat and it it gets dirty. You know, it's like real hair. You have to wash it like real, it's high maintenance. So I thought that was really interesting and quite a relief because I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. now I can just make it easy on myself, you know, it it almost, her information, Wendy's information almost gave me the approval to just feel good about getting the cheaper wig that I could afford. Yeah, yeah. Um, Caitlin, we're almost at the end of our show. Boy, I could talk to you for... (laughs) for another uh, hour or two, and I'm sure our listeners um, uh, feel the same way. But, uh, Caitlin, remind our uh, listeners of the name of the book, where they can uh, where they can find the book and get some more information. Sure. It's called Pretty Six, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, How to Look Your Best When You Feel Your Worst. Um, you can buy it off of my website, which is CaitlinKernan.com, or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. It's pretty much everywhere. CVS, Dwayne Reed, Wegmans, everybody, uh, even in the airports, they have it. So um, it's kind of everywhere, which is great. Um, and 
that's really it. Fantastic. <laughs> that's you can Fantastic. Get. Uh, it's been such a, a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Caitlin Kiernan, cancer survivor and author of uh, Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, How to Look Your Best when you feel your worst. Uh, I just want to take a moment to remind our listeners about all of the services that we provide at the cancer support community and through our affiliate network, including our uh, Gildas clubs. We provide support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, We have 47 centers around the country. Uh, Our services are free of charge for people with any cancer at any stage of disease and for their family members and loved ones. You can also call our helpline at 888 793-9355. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. I'm Kim Tebaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support community.org.